Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. That's right, it is the Trek Geeks Podcast. Uh, I'm Dan Davidson. You're probably wondering why I'm doing the intro today. I got good reason for it, folks. Uh, my good friend and podcast partner has been away on a well-deserved cruise, and I wanted to be the first to welcome him back, because you know that working too hard can give you a heart attack, ack, 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 ack. It's uh, Bill Smith. Hey, buddy. Good to have you back. Hey there, Pally. How are you? It's good to be hey, here. I want to hear all uh, all about your cruise at some point, but uh, of course, this is the Trek Geeks podcast, so we're not going to get too much into it. Um, it was it was difficult uh, having a whole week where we weren't able to talk Trek on a regular basis. My uh, my wife and I had a fantastic time. We we're in the Caribbean. Um, went to a, to four different ports of call. It was a much needed break for both of us, and we're both back and. And ready to, to, well, I guess, is anybody ever really ready to get back to work? Um, no. No, but I'm, I'm definitely ready to get back to podcasting, so I'm excited we're here today. Awesome. Um, while you were gone, I was quite busy. I saw. Um, as the uh, vice president of guest relations of the Trek Geeks podcast, I guess you could say. And with that being said, you might notice that uh, I changed the uh, beginning of our show a little bit, and I said that uh, it's the best uh, show this side of the Gamma Quadrant. So maybe you want to enlighten us a little bit about that. Well, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because we were fortunate enough to to line up for an interview the the incredibly gracious and and pleasant Andrew J. Robinson from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He, of course, played Elam Garrick. Um, and I guess it's hard to believe it was only 39 appearances because it seemed like he was on the show all the time. Yeah. And whenever he was on the show, he the spotlight was on him because he just did such a great job as Garrick. He was, he was phenomenal. We, um, we talked to Andy for about 40, 45 minutes. Um, he was on a break, I guess, in between classes where he now teaches at the University of Southern California. And uh, he, the time went by... Uh, Amazingly quickly, before we knew it, it was time to wrap up, and um, it was a it was such a great conversation. Um, he was so insightful on things from uh, everything from Dirty Harry to Hellraiser to to Deep Space Nine to even just acting in general. And I think that you all will be um, very impressed by um, his insight and his intellect and his behind the scenes thoughts. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. So with that being said, folks, sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation with Andrew J. Robinson. You know, I can remember the first time I watched the movie Dirty Harry when I was a lot younger. Uh, I found the Scorpio Killer to be such a fantastic villain. Uh, he was so evil and so out of his mind. And I'll never forget that maniacal laugh that he blurted out when uh, he thought that he was going to get the upper hand on Harry Callahan right before Dirty Harry blew him away. It was just a great role. Uh, fast forward several years, and I started watching horror classics. Hellraiser comes to mind. Uh, a scene that I've watched dozens of times to this day still makes me squeamish with all the other gory scenes in the movie is the scene where Larry Cotton gets his hand caught on a nail while he's moving some furniture. Just one of yeah, the most skin-crawling scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, these are just a couple of the amazing roles that today's guest has played in his legendary career. Uh, he's been seen in dozens of television shows through the years, and one of his most memorable, memorable appearances was as Liberace. Uh, he's been a successful stage actor. He's been a successful television director. 
But we here at the Trek Geeks podcast will always remember him for the wonderful job he did playing the mysterious, exiled, ex-Obsidian Order agent, Elam Garrick, on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That's quite a mouthful, but it's still a thrill and honor to welcome Mr. Andy Robinson to the podcast today. Andy, can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, thank you very much, sir. It's a pleasure uh, to be it's, here. It's, it's, it's fantastic to have you here. Um, as I and mentioned, it is amazing about that nail in, in Hellraiser because <laughs> that really that really was the one that gave me the the worst kind of squirm in that film. Every time I see it, it's just like, oh my god! And of course, without that happening, the entire movie wouldn't have taken off where it did. But that's just even though it's only a small scene, it's one of the goriest when you think about yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, let's just stay right on Hellraiser for just a second. Um, you played two characters in that same movie when, when you think about it, um, when you were Larry Cotton and then when you were playing Frank. Um, was it difficult switching between the two uh, with the different nuances that each of them had, or did you do each part separately so that you wouldn't mix them up in any way? No, I, I actually did it in because because Clive shot the film in sequence, uh, and which is always a, a blessing. You know, it's a, Don Siegel did the same thing with Dirty Harry, and it makes it a lot easier on on your on your psyche if if you are going in the sequence in which the 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 story takes place. So once you know, once Larry was gone, then then Frank appeared, and so. And it was kind of, for me, it was seamless because I, I, I had such a good time with that show and, and working with Clive uh, that now I've done the good guy. Now I can go play the bad guy. And, uh, and so that and plus, you know, putting on dark contact lenses and and, and the, all that skin stuff, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the new skin sequence. It, it was it was it was a pleasure. It was good. That's great. It was a great role. You know, Andy, we mentioned Dirty Harry in the intro, and your role of, of Scorpio was, for all intents and purposes, really the first time we saw a true psychopathic killer on the big screen that had zero regard for human life. As an actor, what did you have to do to prepare for that role, and was it at all disconcerting afterwards to watch? Yeah, you know, that's your question is one of... I've, I cannot tell you how many times I've been asked about this character, and your question shows the most sensitivity, actually, uh, about what what happened, what I went through with that. It, 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 the, 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 I had never seen anything like that uh, character. The closest I came to was uh, Richard Woodmark's character, Tommy Udo, and I can't remember, Kiss of Death, maybe, something. I can't remember the name of the film. But, but to to play a character like that, I I just didn't get it at first. I you know I that 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 kind of evil, that kind of violent mindlessness was was totally you know I mean uh, I mean I I don't go around thinking about killing people all the time. Um, so it it was it, it 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 was a stretch for me to like drop into that place, and plus it being my first film. I, I just couldn't play act at being, you know, a, a, a bad guy and, and sort of twirl my mustache and, and do evil little laughs. Right. I had to go to some place that was real, and 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 it did take a toll um, during the course of the shooting. My entire, and I mean this literally, my entire physiognomy, the the, the bone structure of my face, changed. And, and, and my, uh, during the middle of the shooting, towards the end of the shooting, my wife, Irene, sort of like, you know, it, it kind of drove her crazy, what was happening to me. But just living in that, in that psyche, in, in that mindset, you know, and, and, and working with that, um, uh, you know, working that territory, I guess, uh, it, it, was, it was exhausting. At the same time, and this is this is the the great thing about acting. At the same time, I knew I was having the time of my life. That this was a fabulous role. That I was doing great work. I mean, you don't always feel that. But most of the time, as an actor, when you're doing something, you think, "Okay, is this any good?" Am I? But I just knew I was I was hitting something that it's probably because I had never gone to that place before. Um, and. I can't remember what the second part of your question was. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it at all disconcerting or or you know uncomfortable to watch yourself in that role oh, yeah. afterwards? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, and and I'll tell you the the two scenes that were the most that that were the most difficult to watch. It was the Kizar Stadium scene, you know, when he's screaming, "I want a lawyer." Yep. And just before, you know, uh, Harry stomps his wound. Um, that 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 still gives me the creeps. And also, the school bus scene where I was screaming at those poor children. And I and what yeah. bothers me, I hate. I that's the scene I hated doing, because. You know, there are these kids. These kids really weren't actors. Right, right. So they were just these San Francisco kids who, like, you know, their parents answered an ad, and would you like to be in a movie? And these poor little innocent kids show up, <laughs> and then they're thrown into this <laughs> damn bus and harangued for an entire, for two days. And then yeah. at one point, Don Siegel came up to me and said, you know, you're not scaring them. And I thought, oh, Jesus. Wow. And Whoa. so, and then... And then I, you know, and he says, make that kid cry. So remember that one kid, that kind of like fat kid? That yeah, he's yep. In tears? yeah. I made him cry. And, 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 and he told me the same thing. By the way, the kid at the end of the movie who was fishing on the dock just before mm-hmm. Dirty Harry uh, kills Scorpio, yep. you know, that, that was my son, Steve. Oh, wow. And, oh, did not and, know that. And, and, and originally, Don Siegel's son was supposed to do it, but he got sick. He couldn't, he couldn't make it. And so Steve was with me, and so he said, yeah, Steve can do it. And then he told me the same thing. You, you know, you're being too easy on him. After a, a couple of takes, he says, you really got to scare him. And I tried to explain to Steve. I said, listen, Steve, you got to help me out here because, you know, you got to be scared. And uh, poor Steve. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But anyway, it didn't traumatize him. He's, he's okay to this day. <laughs> it's amazing getting the insight from from actors when we talk to them about things that happened during the shoot. One of the, the 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 school bus scene is the scene that I always remember when I think about your role and and singing row 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 your boat row your boat. Um, it, it I'm glad that Bill asked that question because one of the things later on, like in our generation recently, is the Heath Ledger tra- tragedy. Um, him yeah. playing the Joker in Batman, a lot of people think that that had something to do with what happened with him. Um, your role was fantastic, and, and, and it, I've heard you say that it, it started your film career, and yet at the same time it ended it. Well, for the exact reason that, that Bill just said, you know, the, we, or Kent, maybe it was you, Dan, but it, it, you know, that we'd never seen this before. And, and while it... it was amazing to do and then the work was really good and people came to see it i mean people really did wonder if siegel went to some kind of insane asylum or you know or or hired this madman uh, to play this role and i and i can't tell you the amount of people who just really didn't want to see me for anything in the business people who should know better uh and and for a while that that kind of like you know me up. I mean, I, I, you know, I thought, oh my God, what the hell's going on here? Am I really that, that, that weird? Am I, is, is some kind of evil thing leapt out of me like alien or something that, but it, it was just simply, I think people hadn't seen this before. It's uh, it, let's jet, let's fast forward, so to speak. Uh, let's just say 400 years. Cause now we're going to talk about uh, Garrick and deep space nine. Um, I have heard and read that you originally auditioned for the role of Odo and not yeah. Garrick. And um, what were your first thoughts when, when you actually didn't get Odo, but then were called back to play Garrick? My, my first thoughts, literally, I'm not going back and audition again. <laughs> I, I, went there, I went there three times, you know, to audition for Odo. Uh, and now they want to see me for another character. Don't they know who I am. And I said, I'm not going back. And, and Irene told me, he said, don't be an idiot, you know, it, it's a job, just go and do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did. I mean, the, I, but also I think one of the reasons I didn't, I had no, I mean, the, the, those characters are very weird to audition for. Especially if I was not a Star Trek person. And, and so, you know, and as an actor, you wonder, whoa, wait, wait, how, how do you play a, a, a changeling? How do you play a Cardassian? I mean, what, 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 who, who are these things? Right. So, you know, and, you know, then you make up stuff, you know, you come, you come in with some ideas. Uh, but it's funny, once I started working with Garrick, because Garrick, and it was, was so elegantly written by uh, Ira Bear and, and his writers, um, he, he he had an elegance and and a charm um, 
that I, I immediately, you know, got into. I had no idea what the guy was going to look like. It was only later that I went back to uh, a next-gen uh, episode, I think, with David Warner uh, mm-hmm. as, as the Cardassian who, who tortures Picard. And that I, but, I, but, before, but before my audition, I, 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 I had no idea what they looked like. Well, you know, you, you play right into what I was thinking next. You know, you had to spend countless uncomfortable hours in the makeup chair just getting your Cardassian mask on, as it were. Did you and Rene Obershinois ever discuss the pluses and minuses of your respective makeup sessions? And who had it worse? Well, I, I, think, I think it was equal. Uh, I, and, and I think, I, I, I don't want to speak for Rene, but I think I can in this, in this sense. I think we both kind of hated it. <laughs> but we both, but but we both loved the way we looked, and I think you know Renee had it worse because that his makeup. I mean, I, underneath my makeup, because there were so many pieces, I could sweat, you know, and uh, and he if if he started sweating too much because his makeup was so skin tight, it, 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 it would start to peel off. And there would be in, in long days, he would have to go back into the makeup trailer for a, another long session to repair what was peeling off. Um, and also, in terms of my makeup, I mean, they, it, I, I hated I, the first time I was in that chair. Um, it was about four hours. And, I, and wow. I, I couldn't believe it, how uncomfortable I was. I just didn't want to do this. I wanted to get out of this thing. And then I, I saw myself in the mirror, and uh, and uh, but Westmore's design. I mean, it was it was genius. I, 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 I then I found my character just looking at this guy with the, with the full gear on. One of the things that I liked uh, about your uh, rendition of a Cardassian is your eyes. Uh, they're so penetrating and i think with that makeup surrounding your eyes the way that the the cardassian bone structure was really made it stand out but i do have one question that you that you just mentioned that you know uh if renee was sweating you had the uh, you could sweat better than he could based on the makeup but you must have sweat a lot because it looked like you pretty much had to wear a couch as a wardrobe piece every single it time you couch. were on the show it was it, it was fur- <laughs> it was furniture material absolutely that was the other thing too and being kind of cla- being kind of claustrophobic, I, I felt like I was encased in this tomb. Wow, was the, I, were the I, neck I stayed pieces? Thin. I'm sorry, I stayed thin. <laughs> with, were the neck nowadays, pieces that you believe me? Maybe I should go back to Garrick for a few sessions. <laughs> that, that would help. <laughs> I think I'll be there with you. <laughs> were the neck pieces that you had to wear? Were they very rigid, or did they have a lot of? A lot no, of movement pliable. to them. It was it was great material. I mean, the, those those prosthetic pieces, great material. I mean, you know, they they, they really did sort of go. You, you know, even even you know the the pieces on the face. You know, your eyebrows could move. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was it, it, they they're just great stuff. I mean, the technology for this is is extraordinary. That's awesome. We um, we recently had Nana visitor on the show, uh, and we we had a great time talking to her. And in the middle of our conversation, your name actually came up. Um, she felt, as we do, that you should have been a regular cast member on the show instead of being a recurring guest. Do you I think that having Garrick as a regular on the show would have provided more opportunity to delve into his past, or were you happy with the way things went that it was a mystery a lot of the time? Yeah, you know, there are two sides to that question. One is, yeah, it would have been great if I were regular because, you know, I would have made a hell of a lot more money. That would have been great. But in the end, in the end, I'm really glad I wasn't a regular because I think if I, I, I did, I think I did, somebody told me I did 39 episodes. I, I, I don't, I think the, the part of the guy's mystery is, is that you did not become that familiar or comfortable with him. And and I, I think that was important. I think the writers knew that. I mean, they, you know, I think Ira and the writers, you know, knew that if if you overexpose this guy, then 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 you've lost the thing that that's most appealing about him. As um as Garrick grew and evolved, were there any story elements with which you disagreed? No, honestly, I I have such respect for those guys. I mean, such respect. Um, the only thing I didn't like were those alternate universe uh, uh, episodes where 
Garrick plays you know plays so so evidently so clearly a bad guy with no subtext. Right. I I I hated those episodes because they they were boring. I mean, there was you know, it was really you know, all you did is just you know be bad and make bad faces and go ooga booga. You've totally made my day, Andy. If you could see the face that Dan just made as the biggest Mirror Universe fanboy on the planet, it's it's thoroughly entertaining for me, sir. Oh my gosh, I'm I think I just lost ten years of my life, Andy. <laughs> But As you know, we, we've but the talked thing about is, it a lot it was on the a, show. It was a um, pleasure because it was a pleasure. The one great pleasure of those episodes was how unbelievably, fabulously sexy Nana looked. <laughs> we will never disagree with that at no, all. That, that is true. One of the things, it's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you um, is in the Mirror Universe, you, you were we never saw you actually die, but we saw you injected with something that was supposedly going to boil your insides. Um, yes, I know. <laughs> which is uh, the mirror universe has some great, great ideas. Um, yeah, but uh, as a mirror universe fan, I was kind of upset to see that happen because I thought as evil as your character was, it had great potential for future stories. I read a lot of the mirror universe novels um, right, that, right. that have been released. Um, but wow, you didn't like the mirror universe. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 I like, you know, plain, simple Elam Garrick. That's who wow. I liked. I don't know if I would ever use the term simple with Elam. <laughs> yes. yeah. No, um, I, I'm being ironic. Oh, yes. Uh, one possible story element that took place uh, during the later years of the show was the relationship that Garrick had with Guldicott's daughter, Zial. Um, yeah. The beginning plants of that relationship were snuffed out pretty quickly when Damar assassinated her. Um, did you like that story arc when you first read about it? And well, were you I, disappointed I, when she was killed off? Yeah, I, 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 I love the possibility of it. I, I thought this, you know, this would be great. I mean, that, that, to have that kind of relationship you know, in, in, in that world, um, in that context, with that character um, – and and what kind of relationship could grow from there? But and and I was really disappointed. They could never they could never find the actor that they wanted for uh, Ziao. And I think that right. that was the problem. Um, I, I I can't remember who. I think there was one actor that they did want, and then she couldn't. She you know then she she couldn't commit. It, it was it was kind of a it was kind of you know a, a, a difficult thing that they were trying to put together and, and and they never could put it together and that's why they abandoned it. Right. But I, I was I was somebody yeah. who actually thought that that would have been a great storyline um, because of what we just talked about a minute ago, where Garrick was a guest on the show or you were a guest on the show as Garrick, and so it wasn't an every week type of thing. One of the things that I've talked about with some of the other cast members, um, Nana in particular, was she wasn't really a big fan of the Odo-Kira relationship. And then we also had Dax and Worf and Dax and Bashir because apparently Dax got around quite a bit. Um, and I was wondering if, if that type of relationship uh, between the two of you might have muddled those waters a bit too much. But I'm glad to hear that you thought it would have been a good idea as well. Oh, I, it, w- it would have been good because, you know, you think about this guy. This guy was so so alienated. He was really quite lonely. I mean, the only Cardassian on that station. And obviously he had, he had his reasons for being there and and his intentions. But, yeah, and, and the, 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 the relationship with, with Bashir, I think that, his his need for some kind of contact, you know, and that brought him to Bashir uh, was was more than just trying to you know infiltrate and and uh, get information. Um, I think it was like to have some kind of relationship that was intimate, um, something that was a close relationship. And I know that when <laughs> I'll say this, when I. I had decided the very first episode that I, I did is that I played that first scene when I first see Bashir that mm-hmm. I was sexually attracted to him. And, and I made no bones about that because I figured, well, what the hell? I'm an alien. You know, aliens, who, who's, who's to say what their sexual habits are? 
You know, right, they're not right. as uptight as we are. So, I mean, basically, if it's if it moves, it's fair game. And then, <laughs> and then, so when I saw, you know, when I saw Bashir, and of course, Sid is, you know, is such a fabulous-looking person um, that I, you know, I, I just came on to him, and it, I, I love that scene. I love that scene. They really didn't want to continue with that. And they oh, never, wow. they ne- they never put the kibosh on it, but they made sure that you know they 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 wanted you know Garrick, you know, uh, I mean their their main their main uh, objective in bringing in Garrick was to give Bashir a storyline, and they and the, and in that episode they wanted to make sure that we had chemistry. Well, it turns out we did. I mean, uh, you know, cause Sid, and Sid and I really had a good time with each other. And actually, we're, we're of all the people on the show. I mean, probably I'm I'm the closest to him to this day. Um, I just recently saw him. I was watching Game of Thrones earlier, and yeah, he, uh, I can't Indeed, wait to see where he goes. Sid. Yeah, I know he looks fabulous. He looks. Does he look great? I can't uh, wait I'm, to I'm, see what they do with him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my favorite episode of the entire series, Andy, has to be in the Pale Moonlight, you know, where Cisco enlists Garrick to help him bring the Romulans into the war with the Dominion. And Cisco essentially mortgages everything he stands for as a Starfleet officer in the process. That's you, right. You had a lot of scenes with Avery Brooks in that episode, scenes with significant implications for both characters. Was yeah. it an intense shoot? And I intense. suppose I mean more intense than normal. Intense. I mean wonderfully intense he, he you know avery is an intense actor he's he's a committed man and and working with him on that it was like it, it was and, and 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 having that that political undergirding you know there was there was real substance in that you know and 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 it dealt with us as you know how how we as as americans are naive in terms of our 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 attitudes because we're so cut off from the rest of the world right <clears throat> And we don't, and we don't understand the, you know, the the the, the lengths and the depths that other people will go, you know, to exert their will and uh, and their political will, and which we're finding out now. I mean, you know, and having gotten our, ourselves involved in the Middle East in a way that I don't know we're ever going to get out of. So, it, with having Garrick with that with that kind of European um, uh, consciousness about. Uh, what realpolitik is, and then, and then with, with with Avery, with Cisco being, you know, the American do-gooder wants to make the world, wants to make the universe a better place, and wants to do the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing is the absolute wrong thing. It was a great episode. It's uh, loved it. It's amazing to me in many ways the ways that DS9 foretold a lot of things, whether it was the the possibility for mission districts when they were filming um, That's right. past That's tense, right. or, or yep. in this case, you know, it was several years before the Iraq War in this case. And we're talking now about, you know, Starfleet, you know, essentially living in a bubble, and, and America has been in a bubble for such a long time in world affairs. That's right. Uh, I have to agree with Bill also, Andy. That is my favorite Deep Space Nine episode as well. Both of you guys did just such a great job. Um, We talked about the mysteriousness of Garrick uh, a little while ago. Uh, Once the series was over, you wrote a novel called A Stitch in Time, which I loved. I've read it a couple of times. Um, In the novel, you answer a lot of questions that surround the various mysteries of Garrick, like why Gul Dukat hates him so much um, and stuff like that. What actually compelled you to write this novel? You know, I mean, what what compelled me was going back to an earlier question about the audition is that once I got the job, then I had to create this life for this guy. And it's like, so what? What is his life? What was the life? So I started. I started writing for myself. Uh, you know, Garrett's diary, and then I and I did this for myself. I mean, it's an old actor tool of you know trying to create a story, a, a, a backstory for for mm-hmm. a character. And then I started getting invited to these conventions, and and I, I kind of you know I, I I loved meeting the fans, but I kind of got tired of just sort of like blathering on about how long it takes to put my makeup on, and you know, and uh, 
what, what kind of practical jokes do people pull on the set and stuff like that. So I decided that I would take my time, you know, in front of an audience at one of these conventions to read from Garrick's diaries. And that was enormously popular. And I just kept on writing. And then one day, uh, oh, God, I forgot his name. Um, David, I forgot his last name. Anyway, um, he, he said, you know, you should you should put this into a novel and I can set you up with the people who, you know, over at Simon Schuster uh, at Pocket Books who do the Star Trek stuff. And that's, and that's how it started. And also, I, I, <clears throat> I am a writer. So, I mean, that, that, was, it, that was a pleasure. And, and, and I think it was the first Star Trek novel, you know, that an actor wrote without someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I mean that's and that that and I I I I'm pleased to hear you you say you read it twice. I <laughs> I think it's a really good book too. I'm I'm very proud of it. And it it's, was it's so great too the, because many huh. It, 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 it was great. The way that um, you were able to uh, – we talked about how great it was for the mysteriousness of Garrick in the show. But I think once the show ended, it did a great job of actually tying a lot of those loose ends uh, yes. in a very good way. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. One of those – one of those loose ends, actually, for those of you who haven't read it, I don't want to give too much away, but Garrick had a very strong love interest in this novel throughout most of his adult life when he first went on to training um, for the Obsidian Order with a woman named Paladine. Um, if you Paladine. could – what's that? <laughs> Paladine. Paladine. Excuse me. Paladine. I, I mistyped. I mis- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, com- can you compare the feelings that Garrick had towards both – Zial and her. Well, you know, I think that was the thing. Is is I think I I I think that it, it's later in retrospect I realized that it could have been something like you know I mean, of course Zial was much younger. Uh, you know, the Palandine the Palandine character in, in the book was a contemporary of Garrick's, and and the thing is is that. It, I, I I would I would always would have hoped that the Zial relationship never went to a sexual, you know, I mean, overtly mm-hmm. sexual place. That, but there, but there were those undertones. Yeah. Um, but the attraction was certainly that here was here was a young woman that that reminded him of 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 a former love, which is mm-hmm. you know, anyway. <laughs> you know, that's, Andy, that's that's for another book, and I have ri- I have written another book, but it's not about Garrick, and I'm I, I've actually I'm I, I think I've just found a publisher for this is the first book I've written since uh, Stitch in Time. Is it a Star Trek novel? No, no, it's okay. it's it's a mem it's it's a memoir. Oh, oh fantastic! Yeah, I yeah, would. So, I, I already want to read it. Well, you know, listen. I think I, it's going to get published this summer. So uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll stay in touch. I'm going to create a website. I'm going to make sure that everybody in the world knows about it. Well, <laughs> when it's it's out, Andy, we'd love to have you back on for sure. I would love that. I really would. That'd be great. Um, you've directed an episode of DS9 and two of Star Trek Voyager. Were they yeah. two very different work environments? And we've heard that oh. the DS9 set was was pretty intense and, and closed off. Was Voyager a little more loose? <laughs> yeah, and Voyager was much looser. You know, I mean, it, it's it, Voyager was, it, it, uh, yeah. I mean, they, 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 the actors, you know, it was a different company of actors. And they were kind of loosey-goosey. And, and when you got people like Johnny Phillips and... Uh, you know, I mean, it's it, 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 it was much easier. Um, the, and also, my one DS9 experience, that was the first uh, episode I ever directed, television episode I ever directed, and, and simply was, was overwhelming for me because it was my first one. I was just, I was learning on the job, and that was not a lot of fun. And then when... Uh, uh, Worf and Dax wouldn't kiss at the end of a love scene, and then Ira started yelling at me, "Who ever heard of a love scene where they don't kiss?" And I said, "Well, they didn't want to kiss each other." <laughs> so, I, wow. so I just said, "Okay, cut, print. You know, love scene where they don't kiss. All right, that's that's you know, it's outer space. What the hell?" Um, was it after? Was it um, after the end of the show? And how far after did you decide to switch directions and begin uh, teaching? Yeah, you know, 
I'll, I'll, I'll be indebted to Star Trek all my life because Star Trek gave me the, the chance, gave me the room because I had this job that I knew that I would make enough money that we could live on uh, each year. Um, I would do enough episodes each year. And so I was then able to do theater projects uh, that I wanted to do where I would make no money. And, 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 and that's when I started directing. I started directing theater uh, while I was doing uh, Star Trek. The, the theater directing went, has gone phenomenally well. I mean, I, I, I found that I had a real aptitude for it. I was very good at it. It was winning awards and, and stuff like that. And and I know that one the one one thing that happened was I was I won two big Los Angeles uh, Drama Critics Awards uh, for two plays that I directed. It was the first time at the time. It was the first time that any one director won for two different plays. And I knew when it, when that article was going to be in the Los Angeles Times. And I wanted to direct uh, a Star Trek, so I I called Rick Berman. Uh, the morning that the Times came out, and I said, "Rick, did, have you read the L.A. Times this morning?" And uh, and he said, "No, not yet." And I said, "Would you please look in the entertainment section, and then can we have a meeting?" And so he saw that I'd won these awards, and that's when I had the meeting, asking him if I could direct, and 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 he agreed. Uh, so, in, in so in that sense, that 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 whole part of my life directing started because of Star Trek. And and out of that directing, to make a, I'm coming around a long way here. Out of that directing, uh, is came this offer to start a new MFA actor training program at the University of Southern California. Uh, that wouldn't have happened if it, without Star Trek and and without me sagging into a directing career. So, what's the biggest challenges you think that young actors face today, and is it easier or harder for them now than when you were in their shoes? It's harder. Yeah, it's it's much harder. I, it, you know, when I when I started as an actor in New York, um, and you'd go for an audition, there would be six or seven of the uh, of the same guys. You know, you 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 know, we'd be up for the same role, and and so that, and, and that was kind of fair. You know, all of us had careers. You know, uh, there was enough work so that each of us, you know, could make a living. Now you show up at auditions and, you know, there are 20, 30, 40, 50 people uh, that, that they're seeing for the same role. It, it's just that there are so many more actors. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. The, the, the competition is, is fierce. I mean, there's a lot more. There's a, there, there's a lot more outlet because of cable. Uh, but it, right. it, but, it, but in terms of film, I mean, you know, they, I think there's less less work right. for actors in film than there was, you know, back in the '60s and the '70s. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Andy, I have one more quick question, and I want to, and I'll wait for your response, and then I have a comment that I'd like to make before we let you go. Um, sure. As a as someone who's been involved in this phenomenon of Star Trek. What makes the Deep Space Nine fan base and fans of your character Garrick such a special group to you? You know what makes them special. First of all, what makes them special it was the first time in my life, uh, you know, because I, I I've been doing this for a long time that that I've I, I had ever met the people who watch me, the people who support me, the people who are my fans. I never met them. I would get the letters. I would get you know people coming up to me on the street or wh- wherever. But to actually go to conventions and and to meet these people uh, was a revelation, and and it was a revelation to me too that how it, it basically fandom is like is a cross section of our society. Fandom is everybody, uh, everybody from soup to nuts, uh, as my grandmother would say. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's and and also. That for the, there is also a social consciousness to this group. You know, when I when I when I did an episode like The Wire, which is my personal favorite, which is about drug addiction. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people who you know I would meet at conventions who would talk about their own experience, not necessarily with their own addiction, but the addiction of someone close to them. Um, and and as as we were talking about in the pale moonlight, I mean, the, the people who understand, you know, what's going on politically, 
the people who are informed, uh, who, who care about, you know, what what is happening to this world. And I think that's that's extraordinary. I mean, you know, the the, the joke is all these people are a bunch of fucking nuts, and you know, and they should get a life and 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 whatever. But mm-hmm. it's just the opposite. I mean, to, exactly. in my experience, these these people are, are are plugged into what life is about, and uh, mm-hmm. and and they have an outlet. Well, I want to I want to bring something up to you. You say you ha- they have an outlet, and um, uh, Deep Space Nine is my favorite series by far. Bill will be able to attest to what I'm about to tell you. Um, I want to take the opportunity whenever we have a guest from Deep Space Nine on to personally thank them because back during the time that the show was on. I went through an extremely dark period in my life where I needed that outlet and I needed an escape because if I didn't have that escape, I can guarantee that I would not be alive today with everything that was going on in my life. You and all the other cast members of Deep Space Nine, and I say this 100% truthfully and honestly, saved my life. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing what you did and giving me and countless million other people that escape and that universe to live in for every once in a while. Wow. Thank you. That, that, that's, that's really, I mean, no, no, no greater testament, you know, and yeah, thank you. My, it's my pleasure. I'm glad I'm, we're able to finally get the opportunity to, to, to thank uh, members of the cast. Uh, folks, his name is Andy Robinson. You know him as Garrick on Deep Space Nine. Can't be more thankful to you, sir, for coming on the show today and and spending a little bit of time telling us about the experience. It's my pleasure. It really, really, really is, Dan and Bill. Thank you for inviting me. And and please invite me back when 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 uh, when when my book comes, uh, it, it gets out. Anytime you want, sir. Anytime. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks. Dan, I, I, I'm pretty sure you agree with me on this, that Andy so far is probably the the most gracious guest we've had on the Trek Geeks podcast so far. I can't wait to have him back on to talk about his memoir. It it blew me away. I was, I mean, you saw me. We have our camera going uh, on Skype when we're talking. Unfortunately, Andy was on a landline, um, so we couldn't actually see him while he was talking. I was like fanboy one seven zero one during most of the conversation, <laughs> just with my facial expressions, and and I think I might have wet myself a little bit when he said that he didn't like the mirror universe, but that's okay. You looked um, it, so entirely crestfallen, like <laughs> like he had just taken your puppy. And not only kicked it down the road, but then spiked it in the end zone like Gronk. <laughs> Gronk's my puppy. You know. He was, I mean, and not to take anything away from anybody we've talked to, we've talked to so many just awesome people in the Trek universe. He was unlike anything I would have expected. I mean, I I knew that I know that he's he loves the fans and he really uh, does great interviews. But it's it's like we could just hang out with the guy. He was he was freaking awesome. He, he truly was. I, I felt like we were almost sitting down with him, you know, in a lounge or in his office and just sort of shooting the breeze on on Star Trek and things in general. And I imagine if yeah. we were sitting with him personally, that's very much how it would go. Yep. Um, I, I felt like we were talking to an old friend that we haven't seen in a little while rather than an actor from a Star Trek series. Right. I, I agree. And and like you said, I can't wait to have him on again. When that memoir comes out this summer, uh, I will be calling him uh, to set something up uh, so that we can have him on again because he's one of those interviews that you're just like, man, did that just happen? It's one yeah. of those ones that I'm probably going to listen to like five or ten times over again and again and again because it was just so great. Maybe we'll – we haven't even talked about this between ourselves, but maybe we'll see if we can talk him into donating a signed copy for a giveaway or something. That uh, might be a good idea, but hey, that is a great segue. See, he knows what he's doing, folks. Speaking of giveaways, while he was gone <laughs> gallivanting down in the South Seas doing whatever he was doing, I was reminding folks on Twitter and Facebook that we have a pretty awesome giveaway right now that is wrapping up very soon. We do. It's the Trek Geeks Blu-ray giveaway. Um, we're giving away the first 10 movies from the Star Trek franchise on Blu-ray. That's everything from motion picture right up through Nemesis. Um, all 10, all yours for one lucky winner. 
Um, Dan, I hear there are a couple of other prizes as well. There are a couple others. There's a $35 e-gift card to Amazon.com. Um, so if you don't have Deep Space Nine, maybe you could buy it and watch Garrick all the time because he's awesome. Um, and also, uh, as everyone knows, the one that I just can't get enough of, a T-shirt from the Trek Geek Shop. That's the other one that we're giving away. Collector's Edition. Yes. Maybe we can get him to sign one of those. I At this point, if if it gets Andy back on this podcast, I, I'm willing to make him permanent co-host. You're fired. I'll I'll drive to oh okay. <laughs> I'll drive out to LA to get it, but not anymore. <laughs> it's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Andy Robinson. <laughs> okay, bye, folks. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate having you here for these eleven episodes. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, back back to point, yes, Mr. Bill. Sorry, um, the winners are going to be selected randomly. Um, to qualify, you don't have to do much. We just want you to go out and subscribe to the Trek Geeks podcast and submit a review. Uh, on iTunes. Uh, you need an iTunes account, of course, and you need access to iTunes on a computer. But once you have that, all you need to do is fill out the contest entry form on the Trek Geeks website, and you will be entered in the drawing. And that's coming up uh, in like a week. Yeah, just a little bit. The giveaway is open to residents of the United States only, and your review must appear in the U.S. iTunes store. That's very important. Uh, the contest runs up through April 30th, so it ends at 11.59.59 on April 30th. And winners are going to be announced on the episode of the Trek Geeks podcast premiering May 3rd, 2015. Um, you can only enter one time, which is probably convenient because you can really only submit one review on iTunes. So yeah, That's, that's good um, rules writing there, bud. I Thank appreciate you. that. Thank you. Yes. Um, save the review also, folks, when you write it on iTunes because you need to submit that review in your contra- contest entry form so that it'll make it easier for us to find it uh, and... Uh, and do what we need to do. Uh, for more details, uh, the entry form, and for complete rules, get over to our site at trekgeeks.com slash contest. That's trekgeeks.com slash contest. And please feel welcome to share it, tweet it, pin it, uh, Reddit it. Uh, you know, we want as many, as many folks as possible to have a shot at winning these Blu-rays now that we're getting down to the wire. Uh, again, trekgeeks.com slash contest. And... Uh, we say this all the time. We can't thank you guys enough for listening. Uh, and this is just our one small way of us giving back to you guys for um, for listening to us babble uh, every every week or so, except when we have awesome people on like Andy Robinson. I know, right? So, <laughs> you know, some of you out there may have suggestions for future show topics. You may have questions for us. You may have questions for Andy Robinson the next time he's on the podcast. Um, Dan, how can people route that stuff to us? That's a good point, and actually, I'll tell you what. If anybody has questions for Andy Robinson, if you send them to us, and I'll tell you how in just a second, I will be happy to forward them along to him, um, and hopefully he'll be able to get back to me with some answers, and we'll share them on a future podcast. So uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype. Our handle is Trek Geeks. Uh, you can send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com, or you can give us a call and leave a voicemail at 508-784-1701. Uh, if you want to uh, reach out to either of us individually, Bill's Twitter handle is at TrekGeekBill, and my Twitter handle is at DCDDS9. Uh, remember that any comments or messages you leave us will be used in a future episode. Let's change the copy on this, Bill, because we can just get rid of maybe used and just put used because it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, unless, uh, unless someone I know writes them, in which case we're not using that at all. Okay. <laughs> we uh, we do want to take time to thank the uh, the guys in Five Year Mission. Um, every week they let us use their music to uh, to insert throughout our podcast, especially for the theme and and the end theme, which Dan likes to sing along to on occasion. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you want to listen to their music, you know, buy their CDs, get digital downloads of their music. You can go online to fiveyearmission.net and listen to all of their songs based on classic Star Trek episodes. One song per episode. Guarantee you guys are going to love it. That's 5yearmission.net. And I know that we're talking about the possibility of having at least one of the band members on. I would like to get all of them on, and they can do a little acapella concert for us right here on the show. Maybe you'll get to sing along and play the bongo. Okay. (laughs) Bingo bongo. All right. And I, guess, I like that idea. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm an okay. ideas guy. That's why I'm the CEO of this enterprise. Oh, see what I did oh, there? Look at what you did there, folks. He may have been on vacation for a week, but you know his mind is still quite. Anyway, 
Well, we uh, again, we thank you all for listening. This has been episode 11 of the Trek Geeks podcast. And um, we will uh, do this again very soon. We have some great, great stuff coming down the pipe. Um, we've got two more interviews to do this week, which we'll release over time. Dan's going to be on vacation soon, so we'll all have a party at that point. Um, wow. But until then, uh, thank you all so much and live long and prosper. Yes, welcome back, Bill. And we will talk to you all very soon. Take care. Sue and I watched part one of the two-parter with Elam and Tane last night while we were eating dinner. <clears throat> you blew up your own shop, Garrick. I love the way he says Garrick. It's awesome. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a great. That's a great episode. Odo and Garrick episode. That's awesome. They're all great episodes. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine having to work in the same scene one on one with Avery Brooks? Oh yeah. I, oh, from in the pale light, yeah. Or any <clears throat> any scene, you know, whether yeah. it's it's Terry or whether it's Renee or whether it's oh. it's Nana. Can you imagine just having one of those tight one on one scenes, you know, where Cisco is being ultra serious or yelling because he does that a yep. lot. Cisco yells. Yep. He's a yeller. Yep. Yeller. He's a yeller. yeller. Um, I. I <clears throat> Avery seems rather intense regardless. Yeah. And then you put on the fact that he's in character and then, you know, essentially, well, punches, you know, Garrick across the, the tailor shop, for example. Choppers. Chop- I gotta, it's, Choppers. It's, it's the one thing I want to ask is what it must have been like wearing a couch every time he was on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask that. Totally. I'm serious. <laughs> That, that that wardrobe would look just awful to have to deal with. <laughs> I will. Please so do. I'm going to find a spot to put it in. <laughs> put that in the list. Okay. Right after the makeup. Yep. <laughs> oh, you slay me, Davidson. You have a loud keyboard. I mean, it's yeah, it's tracking on the waveform for the recording. I can tell when you hit enter. Or, no, it's the space bar. I'm sorry. The highest peaks are the space bar. <clears throat> you know what the lowest ones are? Your face. Oh, great comeback, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. burn. Bang. <laughs> Bang. What? <clears throat> Bang! You sound like Jerry Lewis, for God's sake. <laughs> I never liked him. Or you sound like Joe Piscopo, sounding like Jerry Lewis. Yes, that was a bad episode. Oh. <laughs> when Data's going, uh, 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 uh. yeah. I understand the intent, but I just uh, it makes me. It's one of those things that just makes me go, ah, yeah. Wait a minute. What? When he said the Ferengi in the gorilla suit has to go. No, 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 no. I just got that. I know I screwed it up because I'm trying to do it fast. <laughs> the cloud can stay, but the Ferengi in the gorilla suit has to leave. I get it. <laughs> All right. It's time. That yes, is funny. <laughs> Humor. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Jordy, Mr. Dry Quarter. Dry Quarter. Ha, ha, ha.